Today we are kicking off a brand new teaching series called Jerks of the Bible, Learning What Not to Do. Before Pastor Stan jumps into it, we are going to go over a few random facts about our subject for today. All right, Jezebel, Jezebel, Jezebel. Let's do a little research on Jezebel. Uh, I'm glad I went to seminary for this, Jezebel. Let's see, what can my favorite doctor of theology, Dr. Wikipedia, tell us about Jezebel? First Kings is where a lot of her narratives are in Second Kings, so that's great. Right in the middle of your Bible there. She married Ahab, the king of Israel, and she was just a big problem. Big problem for them. She was killing a lot of prophets of the Lord, and there's this big kind of narrative on Mount Carmel where Elijah goes against all the prophets of Baal and then kills them all afterwards. <laughs> oh, this is a word you don't see very often. Uh, she suffered death by defenestration, uh, which for those of you who are students of history, defenestration is to throw somebody out of a window. Uh, let's see what ChatGPT will tell us about Jezebel. Let, you know, let's have it write a message for us right now. Let's see. 2,000 word sermon on Jezebel. Uh, write it in the voice of nearly a 50 year old man from central Illinois. Uh, let us put some history references in there. Let's put a joke about hunting. Uh, and then we want it to tell us when to stand on our tippy toes and point at the audience. All right, there we go. And I will just copy and paste that, send that to my boss, and let's jump into it. You know, here at Venture, one of our core values is that we want to be real people. You know, things like mics don't work sometimes. We'll just lean into that. But maybe we're taking it just a little bit too far. I'm kidding. I, uh, you know, one of our staff values is that we want to be real people and that we don't take ourselves too seriously. We take God very seriously, but let's not take ourselves too seriously. I've just got one thing to push back on that. A 2,000-word sermon, that's only a wind-up. That's uh, just a, a, an opportunity to begin a message. I can't wait to dive into this one. Let me just go on record before I do that, though, and say this. I have never used ChatGPT to write a sermon yet. I'm a little nervous about ChatGPT. I don't know if this is a tool, if this is a toy, a sign of the end times. I'm not sure yet, but uh, maybe I need to explore that, look into that. Hey, today we kick off a summer series called Jerks of the Bible. You heard Jake reference that. And we're going to kind of, it's like a, each week has the ability to stand on its own. We recognize that many of us travel a lot during the summer, and uh, that's great uh, if you're gone and out and about, I would encourage you to check us out online. You can still stay connected with our online services. If you're here in town, would you make it a point to be here, to be in this space? There's something about God's people together, rubbing shoulders, breathing the same air, celebrating worship together, celebrating communion together, opening up God's Word together. That's growing. That's edifying. Don't miss it out. Miss out on that if you're in town. Each week, we're going to look at one of these jerks of the Bible. And uh, it's going to be a journey through Scripture, kind of what not to do. And by looking at the negative side of that, we can apply what we can do to grow in our faith. Each week, if you would bring your Bibles, today, 
do me a favor, grab your Bible if you've got it with you, and open up to 1 Kings chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's cool. We've got some underneath the seat in front of you. If you want to grab that and pull it out, I'm on page 352 of that Bible. Page 352, 1 Kings chapter 16. Each week, we're going to look at an epic story, a true story. The Bible is true. And there's some amazing stories to be found in Scripture. In classic story form, every good story needs a couple of key elements, key figures. Usually you've got a hero. Usually you've got a villain that work against each other, sometimes together along a plot line. And the stories we're going to look at have small h heroes, small v, villains. The Bible is filled with those heroes and villains. But let me just go on record of saying this. Scripture only has one capital H hero. There's only one big picture hero all through Scripture. This happens to be God himself. God is sovereign. He's been telling a story since the dawn of time. We're still caught up in that story today. We can look backwards at these epic stories from Scripture and draw parallels for our lives today. He is the hero. But there's also a bunch of jerks in Scripture as well. One capital H hero a whole bunch of jerks. And each week we're going to look at these and see what we can learn to not do from them. I looked up. I didn't hit chat GPT. I probably should have. I went old school, went to Merriam's Webster's Dictionary and looked up jerk. This is the definition of jerk. I like this first one, an annoyingly stupid or foolish person. Some of you are thinking I spent yesterday with a jerk. Some of you are thinking I'm sitting next to a jerk today. Maybe you're not thinking that. This can be temporary in nature. I like that definition. Sometimes there are people who just kind of live and embrace the identity of jerkiness. But all of us, all of us can step into that space occasionally, even on a temporary basis. He was simply acting like a jerk. We can take on jerky tendencies. Each week we want to learn what not to do from one of these jerks of the Bible. I've got two big core challenges that we're going to be looking at all summer long. Number one, here's the first one, simply don't be a jerk. Easy enough, right? As we look at one of these classic jerks from the Bible, what did they do that we shouldn't do? Don't be a jerk. Here's the second core challenge. Over and over and over again, you're going to see that God wins in spite of the jerks. In spite of the jerkiest of jerks, God wins. Sometimes he even uses those jerks, get this, to advance his purposes. So there's two purposes of doing this study through the summer. The first of them is this, simply to grow in our discipleship. My favorite definition of discipleship is I want to be more like Jesus tomorrow than I am today. I want to be more like him doing the things of Jesus tomorrow than I'm doing today. And so we're going to look at this and grow in our discipleship. We're also going to grow in our faith. By the way, none of us are immune to jerky tendencies. We're going to grow through that. We're going to grow in our faith by constantly being reminded, without exception, 
over and over again that God wins. Sometimes the story seems dark for a day. Sometimes it feels as if the jerks are in control for a week or a year or even a decade, in some cases even a generation or two. But in the end, without fail, God wins. That should grow our faith. Okay, today, you already saw in the teaser video there, we're going to talk about Jezebel. Let me say that slower. Jezebel. I wonder what kind of an image that brings to your mind. Jezebel, as a character, has made her way into the zeitgeist, into the popular culture even of our day. We throw her word around, her name around. We use it to describe attributes of a person. I want to pick those apart today. What can we learn from her about what not to do? Well, let me tell you about the actual historical figure. Jezebel was a Phoenician princess likely was pampered from her childhood. She grew up in the island city of Tyre in modern-day Lebanon. She was married then to King Ahab, one of the kings of the northern kingdom of Israel, after the kingdom becomes divided. She becomes then queen, queen over Israel by extension. She's married to King Ahab, and she's one of the Bible's great villains. She's a jerk. Quite simply, she's a jerk. She uh, was on the throne alongside her husband Ahab in the 9th century B.C., from roughly uh, 870s to 850s. She's the daughter of a Phoenician king. His name is Ethbal. He's named in Scripture. We'll see that here in a minute. He happens to also be a priest of a false god, Baal. You might pronounce that Baal. And I suspect her formative years were shaped by her dad's faith, by extension her faith. She brings that with her to the throne as queen. She has quite a legacy. If you look even generations, even centuries after her reign, you see some of the minor prophets, a couple of centuries later, pointing back at her, her legacy, what she leaves behind. For example, Ezekiel chapter 27 says this, O Tyre, this is the name of her country, that's where she's from, her hometown if you will, you have said, I am perfect in beauty. Jezebel personifies this idea. Your borders are in the heart of the seas, kind of braggadocious here. Skip to the next chapter, it goes like this, because your heart is lifted up, you're prideful, Jezebel struggles with this. And you have said, I am a God. Our God was very clear. There's only one God. That's how deep your pride goes. You've said, you're like a God. I sit in the seat of gods in the heart of the seas. Because of this, oh my goodness, God's prophets have some harsh things to say about that nation. And their reputation is earned Jezebel sets the bar high, and there's bad blood even centuries later between her reputation and God's prophets. Jezebel is more in the story than just a bad woman. There's bitter blood between 
her nation and God's people. Joel, if you skip ahead to the Minor Prophets, again a couple of centuries later, he even accuses the Phoenicians of enslaving their people and selling them to the Greeks. You can see this in Joel chapter 3. You've sold to the Greeks. Bad blood between these people. Well, why? Where did this begin? Well, it began with Jezebel. Actually, her country was in pretty good graces with Solomon. Solomon built God's temple in Jerusalem. Where did he get the lumber to build that? The cedars of Lebanon? This is where they came from. You skip ahead a few generations to Jezebel, and everything changes. She earns some of this. Why? Because she is a staunch worshiper of Baal, a false god. Her legacy includes false worship and a whole bunch of other things. I want to show you a picture. Before we look at her resume together, I want to show you a picture of what she leaves behind. This is a space uh, in the city of Dan. It's called the High Places in Dan. This is a place of false worship, worshiping a false god, Baal and Asherah. We're going to discover that Jezebel was closely intertwined with these false gods. These are pictures that I took. This is a more modern structure representing what that altar might have looked like. The stones that are left behind, they date back to 3,000 years ago to this same time period of Jezebel. Let me show you her legacy before we unpack her resume together and decide should we hire her or should we fire her. This is what the text says in 1 Kings chapter 16. Ahab, the son of Omri, this is another king over the northern kingdom. Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. It came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. That's one of his ancestors. Not too awful far before him, just a few generations before, that he married Jezebel, the daughter, we mentioned her daddy, Ethbal. It's even there in his name. He's a prophet of a false god, Baal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worshipped him. False worship of a false god. And he's the king. He's the leader of God's people. So he erected an altar for Baal. You just looked at one of them. In the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. That's just a few miles south of the location you were just looking at. Ahab also made the Asherah. This is an Asherah pole. I'll unpack that and explain that a little bit more here, just a little bit. Thus, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. He has quite the resume, does he not? Quite the resume for uh, Ahab, son of Omri. But today, I want to spend our time looking at his jerk wife, Jezebel. Could we look at her resume? Could we look at some of the brief bullet points that she would list on her resume and you decide for yourself, hire or fire? Here's her resume. Check this out. Her job experience, first of all, is attempted murder. She tries to kill somebody. It's pretty important who she decides or tries to kill. His name is Elijah. You heard him referenced in that video earlier. Uh, Mount Carmel, there's this classic showdown between God's prophet and all of these 450 prophets of Baal. 
And after Elijah puts on this incredible show for God, actually God puts on the show for his people in miraculous fashion. There's some amazing things that happen there. You should read that story for yourself. Jezebel feels shamed. Well, let's read what she says. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 2. She sent a message to Elijah. You killed my prophets. Actually, he had, so maybe turnabout is fair play here. Now I'm going to kill you. I pray that the gods will punish me even more severely. She's created an oath here. We're going to reference that in a minute. If I don't do it by this time tomorrow, I'm going to kill you, buddy. Attempted murder, and she tries to. Elijah flees from the northern part of the kingdom by Mount Carmel all the way to the southern part of the kingdom by Beersheba, and he is pursued by Jezebel. She tries to kill him, so we would put attempted murder on her resume. What else did she do? Well, she tried murder. How about this? She actually made it happen. She tried to kill. She actually killed. She had an innocent man murdered. He didn't even see it coming. She plotted, she schemed, and she killed him. It's just cold-blooded murder. First Kings chapter 21, here's the text. But Jezebel, Ahab's wife, came to Ahab and said to him, How is it that your spirit is so sullen that you're not eating food? You ever watched a two-year-old pout? That's what Ahab is doing right here. His wife steps in, grabs the leadership reins, and she begins to manipulate. So he said to her, because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, he's from the valley of Jezreel, and I said to him, well, what did he say? Give me your vineyard for money. I see that spot of land you have. I want it for myself. He's going about it, though, like an honest business, businessman. Look, look at this. If it pleases you, I will give you a vineyard in its place. I'll either buy it for you or I'll trade you for it. He said, No. Business deal is closed, right? Not for Jezebel. Watch what she does. He said, I will not give you money for my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said to him, do you now reign over Israel? She's attacking his identity. You might even argue she's attacking his masculinity. Arise, eat bread, and let your heart be joyful, for I've got this. I'll give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters to a in Ahab's name. She plagiarized and sig uh, sealed them with his seal. She's impersonating him and sent letters to the elders and to the nobles. What do the letters say? Well, let's check this out. Who were living with Naboth in his city. Now she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth at the head of the people and seat two worthless men, let's find two chumps, before him and let them testify, bring false witness against him, saying this, you cursed God and the king. Then, because they have lied about his character and what he's done, then this will give you free will to take him out and stone him to death. She killed him. She's a catch, isn't she, fellas? I mean, there's so much here. She manipulated she schemed, she lied, she murdered. She is fully embracing the curse that we see leveled against Eve. And Jezebel's living downstream of that. In Genesis chapter 3, we see that curse. Jezebel has stepped into that space and said, let me just live in it. Ladies, 
healthy and adjusted women of God. If this gal was trying to date one of your boys, if she was trying to date one of your nephews, one of your grandsons, what kind of red flags do you see here? Sometimes guys were blind to these kinds of things, but healthy women seem to know this stuff. The older I get, the more I trust Dawn's gut when she says, hey, be careful with that lady. Be careful. I see something there. Watch yourself. By the way, we can learn so much from Jesus. We can also learn from a guy named Robert Lewis. He founded an organization called Men's Fraternity. It's for Christian men. It's calling men to be more and to step into the space that God created for you to live. He describes four characteristics of what he would describe as authentic manhood. I love these. I think that men, this is a picture you should take a picture of. You should read his books. Lean into this. Here's an opportunity for growth. Number one, reject passivity. Number two, expect God's greater reward. God is the hero in Scripture. Lean into that. He is telling the story. Lean into that. Number three, accept responsibility. Carry the burden that you were designed to carry. Number four, lead courageously. Which of those did Ahab break? Well, solidly the first one, passive. We see all kinds of passivity in his story. He yields that to his wife over and over again. She's domineering, but he allows it to happen. How about number four? He's not leading courageously. He's following. He could have stepped up and said, no, I'm not going to allow you to kill somebody in cold blood. This is one of my subjects. He, he could have defended his subject. He didn't. He was passive. He didn't lead. He followed to his demise. What else is on Jezebel's resume? Let's look at it. She's attempted murder. She's actually killed. Now she commits grand larceny. She steals from the man that she just had killed, as if murder wasn't enough. She actually stole his ancestral land, and oh, it was good land. It had been in the family for a long time. It's in the Jezreel Valley. I want to show you a picture of this. This is me pointing out across at the field. Boy, didn't that matter? Here's me pointing at me. This is the pretty field that not only does she uh, kill Naboth, but she steals his land. It's good land. Jezreel literally means God will grow. They build a palace on the land eventually, and eventually, spoiler alert, she dies in that same space. But we'll get to that part of the story in a minute. First Kings chapter 21, here's the grand larceny. When Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned... Not like 60s stoned, you understand, but like rocks thrown at his head until he was dead, stoned. Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, from the Jezreel Valley, you just looked at it, which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive, he's dead, I've killed him. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Naboth said, all right, I'll reject, or I won't reject passivity. I will be passive. I'll just go do what my wife told me to do. And he heard that he was dead. He arose and went down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, and he took it for himself. Grand larceny. What else? How about more killing? 
She killed Yahweh's prophets. This is more inferred than stated. You can find this in 1 Kings chapter 18. Elijah said to this power couple, Ahab and Jezebel, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets, prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. The idea there is that you've already killed all of the rest of the prophets. I'm the last man standing. They had. They'd killed him. How about this? Here's a piece, a bullet point for her resume. She is the OG influencer. She is literally the original gangster. Literally. At first blush, this is a positive thing, right? Everybody wants to be an insta-influencer, right? How many have heard of the phrase Jezebel spirit? Anybody know this phrase? Have you heard this before? I see a few hands go up. Sometimes in church circles we talk about this, the spirit of Jezebel or a Jezebel spirit. This is the epitome of arrogance and self-centeredness. Can I just say this? She influences a lot. There's a whole vein, a line of influence that follows behind her, and I I wonder if we still wrestle with it today. Here's the big idea that we take from the story of Jezebel. There's a big difference between motivation and manipulation. Jezebel is the queen mother of manipulation. And when you step into a space of manipulation, you're stepping into that spirit of Jezebel, the legacy that she leaves behind. There's a difference between motivation and manipulation. When we motivate, it's for our good. We all, the rising tide raises all ships, right? When we motivate, that's a good thing. It's for all of us, our good. But when we manipulate, it's for my good. I'm going to be advanced. Jezebel tried to manipulate leadership for her benefit. We just saw it all over the text. It's a spirit of control. It's a spirit of manipulation. It might be her jerkiest quality. And I'm afraid, I'm afraid it endures today. Well, there it is. That's her resume. Now it's up to us. We choose. Do we hire her? Or do we fire her? Well, clearly, with a list like that, murder, grand larceny, all the other things that she's done, we we need to fire her, not hire her. Get her out of the story. Get her out of our life. The problem, the problem is this. She reappears. I mean, she was fired. We're going to see that in dramatic fashion here in a little bit. She was fired, but she reappears. Jezebel always seems to reappear. The spirit of Jezebel pops up all throughout history. It pops up, I'm afraid, even inside of our churches today. If you skip to the end of the story. Skip to the very end of your Bible, the book of Revelation. You're going to find her name pop up there. It's the spirit of Jezebel. This is in Revelation chapter 2. I love the way the book of, Re- the way the book of Revelation begins. John is on the Isle of Patmos. And he's writing to encourage these churches that he had planted, that he had pastored in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. He's writing back to them words of encouragement. He's writing back to them challenges. He's saying, 
you got to endure under the persecution that we're living under. I want you to be a healthy church. I want your church's resume to be incredible. And he writes these letters to these seven churches. And he begins each one of them to the angel of the church of Laodicea, right? To the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? Well, look at the letter that he writes to the church in Thyatira. Listen to this. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God. There's only one capital H hero in Scripture. Start to finish. We're going to see a picture of that hero here in just a minute. Jesus, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds. I know your love and your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Listen, if I were the local pastor of the church in Thyatira, I might be repenting of pride right about now. Look at this church's resume. Look at what they bring, their strengths. They have good deeds. Not only are they saying they believe in the right things, but they're doing the right things. They're embodying the book of James. Love. Faith, service, perseverance, spiritual growth. There's more fruit evident in them today than there was yesterday. Honestly, I'd look at that if I was the pastor of that church and say, man, I'm proud of that. Look at who we are. Look how God is using us to advance his kingdom here on earth. But, but the next word gives me pause. I wonder if it gives you pause as well. Let's keep reading. Nevertheless, after that incredible resume, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. You have not yet kicked her out. The spirit of Jezebel still has a presence in the local church first century who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants oh my goodness, into sexual immorality. And to the eating of food sacrificed to idols, there's false worship and there's bad sexuality on display because of her influence in this church that has an incredible resume. I've given her time to repent of her immorality. She hasn't. She's unwilling. So I will cast her on the bed of suffering and I will take those who commit adultery with her and make them suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Listen, God is not playing. He's pushing back strong against the spirit of Jezebel. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Those are strong words from the king of kings. And the Lord of Lords, might I submit to you with the time that you have remaining that we have to be so willful and conscious about firing Jezebel. Even the healthiest of churches like Thyatira, if they allow the influence of the spirit of Jezebel to infuse their beings, it can affect all kinds of things. You have to actively fire her. Push her out of your life. Well, what are some specific things that you can fire? Well, let me give you three. There are more, but let me suggest let's start with these three. First of all, fire manipulation. Jezebel, 
Her whole life, start to finish, that we see in Scripture is filled with manipulation, even to the point where we're going to read it here in a minute when she dies. She's on her deathbed. She doesn't know it yet, but she's getting ready to die. What does she do? She fixes her hair and her makeup. She's manipulating even to the very end. What did I say? What's the big idea? There's a big difference between motivation and manipulation. She's a leader. She could have motivated people for good rather than that she manipulated people for her own wishes. Fire manipulation. Does this, does this take residence in your heart? When you honestly audit, when you honestly edit or audit the way that you are approaching life, is it for them or is it for me? Any piece that's manipulation, you've got to actively fire that spirit of Jezebel inside your heart. Jesus provided the solution to this. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, he says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Another translation says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Speak the truth and then follow through with that truth. Just speak plainly. Stop manipulating. Rather, motivate. How about this one? We should fire manipulation. How about we fire this one? Can I preach just a little bit? Can we fire sexual sin? Jezebel has a legacy, I'm afraid, that's all too alive and well in this area. That's a problem because the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be way above that. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 5. It says this, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity, even, even a hint. There's this misconception that Jezebel, I, I read some articles this past week. I didn't spend time in chat GPT, but I did spend some time in Google. And I discovered all of these people saying, listen, Jezebel, she gets a bad rep. There's no really record of her and sexual sin in the story in the Old Testament. What is that all about? Well, these are armchair quarterbacking Bible scholars. They don't understand what's underneath the text. It is all over if you know what to look for. Like, for example, we just read 1 Kings chapter 16. Let me show it to you again. Ahab erects an altar for Baal in Samaria. He also makes an Asherah pole. Can I just suggest to you that Baal and Asherah, this is a sex cult. To put it very plainly, to put it very bluntly, you worship these fertility gods in the ancient Near East. You're praying for rain. You're praying for fertility, for things to grow, and you worship them, quite literally, with ritual sex. An Asherah pole, by the way, not to get too graphic, but this is literally a phallic symbol. This is a fertility cult. It's a sex cult. Not to get too deep into the weeds here, but her false worship, Jezebel's false worship, is sexual sin. It's all over the text. Again, if you know what to look for, 1 Kings chapter 14 says this, Judah did evil in the eyes of the Lord. By the sins they committed, they stirred up his jealous anger more than those who were before them had done. They also set up for themselves high places. We looked at one earlier in Dan. Sacred stones. What else? Asherah poles. Again, it's a phallic symbol on every high hill and under every spreading tree. There were even male shrine prostitutes. This is how they worshiped. In the land, the people engaged in all the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. 
She brings that back in. Sexual sin, like a cancer, had taken over the land. These were detestable practices then. What did I say? There's a big difference between motivation and manipulation. Oh, my goodness, one of the most difficult things about leadership is self-leadership. Can I ask you a question? How's your purity going? I mean, we can look backwards and say, oh, there were a bunch of jerks back then. But how about today? Do you have motivation to honor the Lord and your spouse if you're married in every part of your being? Let me say it this way. Our sexual sin is false worship. Which brings me to my last challenge for you. If we're looking to fire Jezebel, how about we fire this? Fire false worship. Fire manipulation, yes. Fire sexual sin, yes. But false worship, can we, oh, it, can, it can get into every little piece of our life if we're not careful. Idolatry is such an old-timey word. We look at that and we say, oh, they wrestled with that then, but not today. It's easy to dismiss. I'm not an idolater. I'm not a jerk like Jezebel. Martin Luther, the reformer, he had, I think, a fascinating view of the Ten Commandments. Basically, he said this, the first two, honor God and uh, don't make for yourself a graven image, so right worship, those first two. He said, if you've got those two in line, the, the, the next eight are actually redundant because the last eight of the Ten Commandments are all about functional saviors, false idols that you place in front of God. And let me show you some of these on the list. The third one simply says, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't take an oath. Jezebel did that. We saw that earlier. She took an oath on false gods. That's idolatry, placing above God. Honor the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. If you place work above the rest, the righteous rest, we talked about this last week that God desires for you, that's actually idolatry. That's false worship, worshiping productivity, over worshiping your God. Adultery, this is sexual sin. You chase after that person, you put them above God, that's idolatry. Don't steal, don't lie, don't covet that thing that you're chasing. You're putting it above God. That's idolatry. Fire, false, worship. What did I say? There's a big difference between motivation and manipulation. Are you manipulating the way you approach your God? Are you motivating yourself to honestly love him, to serve him, to worship him with your whole being? Can I challenge you? Fire Jezebel. Kick the spirit of that evil woman out of your life because she will threaten to drag you down. In the end, by the way, she loses. The first Jezebel ultimately loses. Now, I want to be careful not to get too graphic here. You can read this story if you'd like. It's in your Bible. It's in 2 Kings chapter 9. Let me show you this. There's a new king in town, Jehu. He went to Jezreel. He went to that field that I just showed you. He went to the palace. There's a new king now. Ahab's dead. Jezebel is living in the palace on stolen land that she stole from Naboth, if you remember that story. When Jezebel heard about it, she put on eye makeup. She arranged her hair. 
She's manipulating to the very end, and she looked out of a window. You saw the fancy word. I don't even remember what it is right now, but dying by falling out of that window, this is exactly what happens. The text says, the king yells up, who's with me? A couple of eunuchs look at the queen and say, well, we're with him, and they throw her out the window. She dies. The text is fairly graphic, actually. Some of her blood splattered the wall, and the horses trampled her underfoot. Verse 34, Jehu went in and ate and drank. Take care of that cursed woman, he said, and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. She deserves some kind of a funeral. So they go out and they look for her body, and they, what they find, rather, is pieces and parts. Her skull, a foot here, a hand here. They go back in and they tell Jehu, who said, this is the word of the Lord who spoke through his servant Elijah the Tishbite. On the plot of ground in Jezreel, dogs will devour Jezebel's flesh. And that's come true. In the end, the spirit, or Jezebel ultimately loses. But can I just say this? Jerks sometimes win for a while, but usually they get what's coming to them. This happens to Jezebel. Can I also say this? The spirit of Jezebel in Revelation ultimately loses as well. Well, if you skipped to the end of the story in the book of Revelation, after the text we just read, written to the church in Thyatira, Revelation chapter 19 says this, after this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute Jezebel has power no more, who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged her and the blood of his servants. He's avenged her. Then you skip ahead to Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. I saw heaven opening up, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was faithful and true with justice. He judges and wages war. And there's this picture of Jesus who's coming back to take his people home. And look at this on, on his robe and on his thigh was his name written. It's tattooed right there, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In the end, Jesus wins. At the end of the story, there's no hero in Scripture above our God, capital H, hero. And the spirit of Jezebel ultimately loses. So, why do we continue to chase after her now? Would you stand up with me? We're going to end our time today simply by declaring truth and singing worship to our God, one true God. Would you bow your heads right now? Would you close your eyes? Let's commit this time. God, I thank you. I thank you for the opportunity in front of us to learn from a jerk in your Bible of what not to do. Give us courage to reject passivity. Give us courage to lead proactively with courage. To kick Jezebel, that spirit of Jezebel, to fire her and her influence from our lives. Lord, this week, give us the courage to lead with motivation, and to reject manipulation. We ask that as we commit this with worship right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.